My name's Rad, and I want to tell you about the Transformers. My curiosity is aroused. Hey folks, and welcome to Fan Holes, Transformers Tuesdays. Uh, this is our holiday... What what are we calling this, Derek, exactly? I'm, I'm calling it Christmas Month. PC people be damned. Okay, yeah, yeah it's, 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 it's Fan Holes Christmas Month. Yeah, let's, let's just go with that. And uh, obviously, you know, if, if, you, if you haven't gotten the theme, you know, we're going to be discussing, you know, Christmas, you know, basically all like holiday specials and Christmas stories, basically, for the entire month. And uh, with Transformers Tuesdays, obviously, we're going to be discussing a Transformers holiday story. And uh, the one we picked was the IDW holiday special, uh, which was released uh, in 2015. It contains uh, three stories by the three uh, main, uh, the, the three writers of the three ongoing Transformers books. Although I don't think uh, Margie Scott had an ongoing Transformers book when this came out, but she doesn't, as of this recording at least, so, you know, we, it still counts. But, uh, yeah, so that's what we'll be discussing. And uh, I guess I gave it away, but, uh, Derek, why don't you say hi anyway? Hi, Merry Christmas. This is Derek, Derek WC. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. So, uh, anyway, yeah, so the, the uh, Transformers Holiday Special was released, yeah, in December of 2015. Um it, it, it's kind of recapturing a uh, uh, tradition, I guess, of Transformers holiday stories because the UK comics, at least, had like a, a Christmas story, like like pretty consistently, like every year for like I think the last three or four years of its publication. So um, we were, we I think we were discussing discuss like talking about some of those stories, but we might leave that for a future, like in maybe the next year's like holiday like Transformer stories. And we just decided to do this one since it was I guess a little more recent and all. But uh, I guess you know we'll we'll go into it. We'll we'll t- we'll talk about the three stories. And um, uh, the first one is called Choose Me, and it's by uh. I always, I can't ever pronounce her name right. Uh, uh, Marguerite, like Marguerite, like I, I don't know. I just call her Margie Scott. Like, okay. I, yeah, I, that's the. I, I'm I'm sure there's a way to pronounce it, but I I don't know for sure what it is. Is her is her ongoing book that you were referring to? Is that the Combiner Hunter book, or is that just no, another uh, one shot? Uh, that she did write that one shot, okay. but uh, her her current ongoing book is called uh, Till All Are One. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, and it, it just well, as of this recording, it just launched. Okay. But by the time by the by the time this episode airs, it'll probably be uh, like a half yeah, a year into it or something. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah, so hopefully it's still running strong. Okay. So it yeah it, it it'll be dealing with whereas you know more than meets the eye deals with space stuff and uh, uh, John Barber's adjectiveless book will de- be dealing with Earth stuff and probably all that like tie-in revolution teaming up with gi joe and mask stuff now uh till all are one like you know kind of deals with stuff that's happening on cybertron so 
you know, I think it's a good, uh, you know, mix of things, basically. But yeah, so um, Choose Me is written by Margie Scott and art by Corin Howell. Rather than give a synopsis of this story, uh, Derek and I have prepared a little something special, so please enjoy. Welcome home. Welcome back. What world were you on? Such were the sayings across Cybertron. For all the lost colonists were returning. New friends for the making with new names for the learning. The quick Velocitronians no one could beat. The little divisions all wanted to meet. The Eukarians, the Camions, the Carcerian crew, all gathered in Iacon for a how do you do. And even the surliest Khan could agree. The city's much nicer now, even for me. But all this goodwill drew one giant huff from Starscream who said, They don't love me enough! Starscream turned to dead Bumblebee. They all love each other when they should all love me! I am the chosen one! I run this world! But wherever I go, only insults are hurled! Dead Bumblebee said that if Starscream were kinder, more people would like him without a reminder. But Starscream put on his Starscreamiest grin. He'd realized a way he could finally win. He called on Rattrap, his favorite thug, to get him a camera, a chair, and a rug. He set up the stage with oh so much care. And, making sure not to scowl and sure not to glare, he addressed all of Cybertron right then and there. People of Cybertron, hear what I say. Get ready to shout out hip hip hooray, for I bring you news of a new holiday. Tomorrow's officially chosen one day. And Starscream went on with many a gesture about how their love shouldn't just fester. Cybertronians, colonists, bots, cons, and others should think of themselves as sisters and brothers and express all the love that they felt for each other. With songs and with gifts, with abandon and glee, they should honor each other. By honoring me! Starscream finished his speech with no time to lose and ordered Rattrap to give it to the news. Unfortunately, Starscream's brilliant recording was thwarted by Circuit's slipshod reporting. For although they dutifully broadcast the tape, Longtooth cut off the end, which changed the whole shape of the speech that Starscream had given and ruined the aims for which he had striven. You'll have it right here, folks, a new holiday. Show someone close to you why they're okay. Be they co-worker, friend, or conjunct Zendora, show why you care with August Bravura. Starscream was livid. That circuit's an ape! That's not what I said! He cut off my tape! And Starscream bemoaned that the citizenry would be nice to each other... Instead of to me! But all of the other bots loved the news. Both of the tankors got matching tattoos. Knockout and his conjucts went on vacation. And Slug took a moment to praise Blur's vocation. Windblade thanked Chromia for saving her life. And Lightbright agreed to be Sparkstalker's wife. Alita's soldiers threw her a parade and his teammates bought Onslaught a brand new grenade. Yes, everyone was in the spirit of giving, happy to still be among the living, and everyone got into the spirit of fun. Well, everyone except one, for even his chosen day came to an end. No one had yet called Starscream a friend, and that bitter old Starscream stood in his tower, getting madder each second and sadder each hour. He plotted his wrath and population reduction, he planned the entire planet's destruction! When suddenly there was a knock at the door, Starscream looked up. 
Now who is that for? He creeped to the peephole and peeped with his peepers, and suddenly recognized somebody's features. For he threw open the door with an oily grin and invited the scientist Wheeljack on in. When asked why he came, Wheeljack replied, I came to see you, and I brought Ironhide. I brought along Windblade and good old Rat Trap. And behind them came Blur with Njax on tap. Air Razor, Moon Racer, Vanquish, and Fireshot. The room filled to the brim with every last bot. With a tinkling of glasses, Wheeljack called a toast. The Starscream for not choosing to boast. He gave us a day to be thankful and happy. Are all of his speeches really the sappy? Lord Starscream, we thought with all of our might of what gift to give you, of what could be right, of how to proceed and how to push on. He means we're giving you friendship, but, but just until dawn. And true to their words, Starscream was given all of the love for which he had striven. And they say that his spark had shone so bright, he swore not to destroy them. At least not tonight. So yes, that that was our interpretation of Choose Me, uh, which is basically, you know, a a story about Starscream trying to, you know, coin his own holiday on Cybertron. And I think it's a pretty obvious takeoff on, like, The Grinch. Yeah, yeah. uh, Like, yeah, what, you have some general thoughts on this story, Derek? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty fun. I mean, for the most part. I mean, I I know I had had sort of reached out to you because I have not been keeping up with the ongoing books. And I was like, I need help with this, or whatever but i i pretty much got what was going on like i mean i the i, I kind of saw you know like starscream is still holding political office like the last time i read the book so i sort of got that i do sort of get that he's obviously not the most beloved political office holder in the land at the same time too so there seemed to be that kind of you know that that as you were saying the sort of you know, Grinch who stole Christmas vibe to it where, you know, all these other people could be out having fun, but, but this, this one person is, is sort of not in the, the, uh, Christmas spirit or whatever, or the holiday spirit and stuff like that. So they, they, you know, again, they're, they're sort of, they're sort of loosely tying in, you know, a human Christmas themes to a Transformers universe and finding like, you know, their own clever ways of, of tossing those in there. But I, you know, I thought this for the most part, like this was pretty much a fun story and it, it basically was, it seemed to be like a loving homage to like Dr. Seuss rhymes, basically. I mean, that's, that's basically what I sort of took from it. And it just involved a bunch of different, you know, characters who were on, you know, on Cybertron at the time and, I, I mean, to be honest, I mean, I, I, I didn't have much problem following it, and it was it was pretty fun. The art's a bit cartoony, and I think that sort of serves it well. I mean, it is it does seem kind of like a light story. There wasn't a whole lot of heavy stuff going on, you know, even though maybe, you know, the ongoing book or, or whatever the political climate on Cybertron is, as, you know, when this story takes place might be a little heavier handed. But, <laughs> yeah. but, but for this one day... You know, like uh, at least they they got to sort of I- I express some some holiday cheer, as it were. Yeah, like a, I I was gonna say in the current day climate of the books, it's like you know I feel like maybe Starscream should be like you remember when we all had fun that one day, like instead of like you know all this like covering up murders like shit we're doing like right now and whatnot. <laughs> like man, like that was fun. Like let's do that again. But yeah, like I can say I unequivocally like Corin Howell's art. 
Uh, she she also drew like issues of the second Windblade series and some of Combiner Wars. Okay. I I think her art works especially on a story like this. I'm not so sure it worked like on the parts of Combiner Wars and like the parts of the Windblade book she drew because that that was kind of, sort of like heavier like stuff basically and like while while she can you know pull off like dramatics. Obviously, like, you know, it's a very cartoony style, and I think it, it works better, like, in a humorous, like, sort of way, or, or bent, basically. But, like I said, like, that doesn't, like, people will just look at this art and say, oh, that's, like, baby shit, or whatever. But, not, like, I, I'm not, like, I think I like her art. Like, I, I think it's good art. I, I'm not so sure, like, it's always cast properly on certain stories, but I do like the art. Yeah, I, I enjoyed what I read of it, and I think I think like you're saying, it fits the tone of this, you know, this special and and that particular segment of the special. You know, it's not like you are telling like you know a, I don't know a Jason versus Freddy story or something, and it's like all happy and stuff with like little chibi Jason and Freddy or whatever. You know, even yeah. though people's heads are getting lopped off or something, it's like it actually sort of fits with the the vibe of of the special itself. And, and even when she has to do things that are slightly moody, you know, cause obviously Starscream is kind of very introspective and, and very egomaniacal and kind of all about himself. So there are those kind of aspects where, you know, when he's like hovered up in the, the corner in the fetal position, you know, going like, Oh, everybody should be worshiping me, you know? And like that kind of thing. I mean, you still get the vibe that, that it is not a, a happy moment for him you know what I mean? So it's like, I, I think all those things work. I mean, just because just just because something is a cherished holiday special, like something like How the Grinch Stole Christmas, it doesn't mean that it couldn't be sort of moody or or express certain, you know, tones and feels throughout it. But again, uh, you know, I think I think both those, you know, the, the art in this and, and, you know, comparing it to what we clearly think it's inspired by, you know, you, you can have things that are sort of dark, but again, uh, you know, to sort of fight off the, the quote unquote haters, you know, the Grinch and this are, are definitely not, you know, baby shit. Like there, there's a skill and a level of proficiency there as well, you know, regardless of if you prefer the style or if you don't prefer the style, you know, like it's obviously, you know, competent and skilled and, and, you know, it, it serves its purpose, especially for this story. I could see why, you know, maybe if you're reading like a 12 part storyline where, you know, you've got some, you know, really intense art and then all of a sudden, and then in the next part you go to a style, that's a bit more cartoony like this, how that could be slightly jarring, but yeah, well, I, it's, it's not, like... it's not so much that that's a fault of the artist. It's probably more a fault of, you know, the editors who put all that together and didn't take yeah, that into well, consideration. Well, I, I was going to say, like, I don't... I, have you read Combiner Wars? No, or? I haven't even gotten that far. Okay, yet. well, like, it goes from, like, Livio Ramondelli's art to, like, to her, her art. Yeah, yeah I, so that's yeah. why I'm like, that doesn't really work yeah, so well. Yeah, I, I could see why that would be totally jarring. Yeah, that's too bad. Yeah, but... No, for the most part, I mean, I think this is... I would say this is, like, out of the three stories, this is maybe my least favorite, but I still enjoyed it a great deal. Like, I think all three stories had their charms, basically. And, yeah, this one, I appreciate what the writer was trying to do, basically. I mean, are there any, like, characters that you wanted to focus on specifically? Like, the or, or just, is it, at this point, kind of old hat, because they're all sort of 
characters that you've been reading about in the ongoing? Because, I mean, I know they've got, you know, Wheeljack and Ironhide and Rat Trap and then Chromia's in it, right? And then... Yeah, like, well, I was going to say, I guess, I don't know if you followed up on, like, John Barber's book or whatever, but, like, it's like Starscream's been talking to, like, who he perceives as Bumblebee. Oh, okay. And, like, no no, no one but him can see Bumblebee. Okay. So, like, everyone's kind of like, is he a ghost? Is it, like, you know, is Bumblebee stranded in another dimension and only Starscream can see him or something? But, like, I, I thought that kind of, they like, they use that to their advantage here, where it's, like, Bumblebee's kind of, like, the ghost of Christmas present okay. or, or past or future or whatever you want to call it. But, um, I don't know, like, there's, there's some other setups I enjoy, like, sort of, like, the two tank ores, you know, like, uh, obviously one is Octane, but... You know they had to they couldn't call the toy octane so now like he's tank or like pretty much in everything from now on so and then they released like the beast machines tank or so it's like uh they i think it's it's nice that they 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 addressed head-on that some transformers have the same name basically that's pretty cool i mean i guess i guess now you saying that the ghost of Christmas past, future, whatever, whatever you'd want to attribute to the visions of Bumblebee that Starscream is having. I mean, that, that again, gives it another kind of influence or homage, you know, like maybe Starscream had a bit too much mustard with his, you know, Energon meal or whatever. And, and, and now he's, he's seeing things, you know, it's a very, you know, Ebenezer Scrooge type vibe besides the Grinch, you know, so, so there's those kind of aspects. I mean, those are similarly themed you know, Christmas stories. So it, it would make sense that, you know, it, it's a bit of Starscream wanting acceptance, but it's also a bit of Starscream kind of being a Scrooge too. Yeah. I also like, you know, how we're talking about how it's kind of a, a joyous story, but it, it's like, you know, Alita one in this continuity is kind of like a barbarian, like queen sort of. So it's like, you can kind of see her sitting on her throne, like adorned with skulls and stuff while like, she's all like into the holiday festivities and whatnot. So I thought that was pretty funny. And then it's like, you know, the, the Combaticons get Onslaught a new grenade, which they'll probably yeah, use yeah. To, to commit some kind of terrorist <laughs> act. So it's Yeah, like, yeah, it's not all it's not all flowers and roses and stuff. But I don't know. But the way you know, the obviously if you didn't know any of this stuff, like the tone is still like intact. You're just but like like the way we are, it's like we have to consider some of the implications of like, you know, some of these things. But, some of the some of the presents they get during the, the twelve day countdown. And then I liked it, the other panel where it's like all the um the Viacons or the the badgeless uh like the Starscream's like secret police force where it's kind of like they're all happy to be among the living because they're all like cannon fodder and stuff like like I thought that was a pretty clever nod. But yeah, like I mean that's pretty much all I have to say on this one. I mean and I like it and I, I, maybe I like the other two stories better, but th this the story is still pretty like, you know, decent. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was pretty good. Okay, so I guess we'll move on to the next story. The second story is written by James Roberts and art by Coteri, no other name given, and uh, colors by Joanna La Fuente. Uh, it's called Silent Light. And uh basically it's uh it's kind of a story that takes place on the Lost Light on the 24th of December. And um, Rodimus has just arrived home from a bout of meteor surfing. 
and uh, they're about to pass through some hostile territory. So, like, the entire crew of the Lost Light is going to have to uh, all go offline and seal themselves in some pods to, like, in, like, hopefully no one will detect them as they pass through this hostile territory. And there's a bunch of jokes about, you know, it's kind of, they kind of say, like, Brainstorm has uh, concocted some kind of contrivance engine, which which, like, you know, explains why, all the the mind wave like blockers look like christmas hats and right, the, the right. jamming device looks like a christmas tree and like all the there's like things that look like christmas lights and stuff and you know it's kind of like robert's kind of covering all his bases like twice over swerve whirl and nautica are kind of locked up in swerve's bar like kind of you know getting hammered and they find a proto uh, like a a proto form in there like a miracle child like that has just appeared and uh they realize you know they have to protect it so uh you know through a through a, sequ- a sequence of uh unlikely and kooky events you know they 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 have to find a way to protect this child as it as it um as like the entire crew of the lost light goes uh offline i uh, guess yeah, so they they break into Ultra Magnus's office to um they're gonna send the the protoform like through a a transwarp window in like in Ultra Magnus's office but the baby gets loose in Ultra Magnus's armor and then like Mega it, it goes on a rampage while they're trying to basically find it and Megatron it it, it, it attacks Megatron in Ultra Magnus's armor. And uh, I don't know, basically, like the whole the whole like uh, crux of the story is basically um, Whirl is going to he tells the others he's going to protect the baby. But instead, he's going to like toss it overboard to protect everyone. But in the end, he's he's touched, I guess, by the holiday spirit. And he uh, he shuts his own spark off because I guess the stasis pods can only house one spark at a time. So he shuts he kind of f- switches his own spark off and lets the baby like take his spot in the stasis pod. And then it turns out when they wake up, it wasn't a protoform at all, but it was like a mass of scraplets, which are, you know, a sort of lethal pathogen to Cybertronians that took the form of a protoform to took the form of a protoform um, to basically like camouflage themselves and trick someone into basically yeah like becoming a nest for them and uh yeah in the end like world's kind of like uh these little like tiny microscopic like predators like you know they're these are like pathogens after my own spark basically so uh yeah i mean that's the the the, quick and like gritty like the low down and dirty synopsis of it i mean there's a lot of like nuances i probably missed but uh, i don't know what are your thoughts on it the first thing that i noticed and i don't know if this was intentional like an intentional influence but i i thought of it again while you were describing how like swerve and whirl and um what's her name the the girl oh nautica nautica how, how when they're all kind of like strung out in his bar and they're they're all inebriated and stuff. I, I couldn't help but think of, of Swerve as like Tyrion from Game of Thrones, you know, and like that, that kind of <laughs> moments, you know, the moments on that show where he's like, you know, with Braun and, and the, the, you know, lady who eventually betrays him and everything like and so like they're all just inebriated and telling each other jokes and stuff like that. So I, I did get that kind of vibe from from their interactions and everything. No, 
No fire games. No knife games. Let's do something I'm good at. What are you good at? I happen to be a great judge of character. This sounds like a boring game. It's not. Here's how it works. I make a statement about your past. If I'm right, you drink. If I'm wrong, I drink. And no lying. I'll know if you're lying. I don't want to play this game. I, I was a little kind of concerned about Megatron when the the quote-unquote proto-form took over Ultra Magnus's armor and then like it's like almost this weird moment of like dude i love you man but i don't i don't love you that much you know like like what <laughs> it's trying to hug him yeah, yeah it's like it's like he's getting uncomfortably close and like sort of breaking uh megatron's personal space you know and and you could tell like they, they it, it, i mean this is something obviously i've not been keeping up with very well but uh, the vibe I got from the interactions between Ultra Magnus and Megatron were that they at least were functioning together pretty well in sync on the ship. Like, in other words, it seemed like if I, I don't know if Megatron is still leading the Lost Light, but I mean, if he's the captain of that ship and Ultra Magnus is his first officer, they seem to be pretty simpatico at that point, almost like a you know, a, a, a Kirk Spock or, or so, something along those lines where they're they're definitely, you know, in sync with one another. And, and that's the kind of vibe I got from them. But then, you know, when, when that one moment happens, it's like, all right, Spock, I, I like you, but you, you've had too much Romulan ale. Like, go go back to your quarters, you know, like stop trying to slobber on me or whatever, you know, that kind of it, thing. They, they, they've kind of bonded over how, like, annoyed they get over Rodimus's antics, kind of, basically. It's like, you know, if, if I guess if Rodimus is kind of like the, uh, I guess Rodimus would be Kirk and then like, yeah, Magnus would be like, I guess Magnus would be Spock and then maybe Megatron is, no, I guess Mega, I don't know, maybe it's a bad analogy, but in whatever case, uh, yeah, no, there's definitely some kind of like a bond of like mutual respect between the two of them that like, whereas Rodimus is kind of antagonistic with Megatron, like Magnus and Megatron seem to get along a lot better. Yeah. They, they, they do seem to be sort of on the same page in this as far as, as what's going on and everything. And then I, I guess the other thing that I, I thought of is, I mean, I, I, I don't know that it's so much that world is touched by the holiday spirit, but I mean, I guess you could say like, Oh, look, he found the Christmas spirit or whatever. And I guess that's the, that's the vibe, you know, given that, you know, the, the convenient, what is it? The contrivance engine, it looks like a big Christmas tree and all that. Yeah. So like, like the idea is like he found the Christmas spirit or whatever, but I, I thought it was kind of funny that when the protoform adopted claws, that's when it kicked in. It's like, oh, you look like me. Like, you know, like you're, you're trying to mimic me. And isn't that sweet? You know, like that kind of thing. And so that's kind of what drove him to do what he did. And then it, it was kind of funny to find out that like those were just a bunch of scraplets that were basically using their you know, sensitivity against them. You know what I mean? Like using, basically it's like, it's like they're using the Christmas spirit against them. You know, it's like you feel sorry for somebody, but th those, those people are actually like predators, basically. It'd be like finding out like, oh, look, you know, isn't that cute little dog so sweet? And then it's not really a dog. It's like a bunch of like blood sucking leeches that look like a dog, you know, <laughs> they're all and, merged. Yeah. Into a dog. You know, and you're just kind of like, oh, like a bunch of blood sucking leeches merged into a cute 
dog. You know, like, like it, it was a weird, to me, it was like a weird way to end it. Like, obviously, it didn't result in anybody getting grossly injured or harmed, even though it seemed like Whirl almost put himself into a, like, what, like a self manifestation of a coma or something you know like basically yeah. shut himself off to so that that the uh the the, the scraplet group could actually exist which and and then like i i kind of wondered about like the whole i don't know there, there's that commentary at the beginning about the reason why they had to go through this is that the passage of space they were going through was filled with a bunch of people that hated robots. And so the word like robophobe is like thrown around and I'm kind of like, and, and, and I was just kind of like wondering like, okay, so the solution to that is not to confront anybody and it's not to be non-confrontational and go around, you know, like Rodimus is like, why don't we just go around these fucking losers that hate us? And then we don't have to worry about it. And they're like, no, 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 we're not going to do that. But what we will do is put everybody into stasis and pretend like we don't exist while we go through their space. And I was like, well, that that's just as non-confrontational only in a much more dangerous way way to everybody who's involved so i guess it's one of those things where you, you just have to accept it's part of the whole contrivance engine thing you know like it's just part of that plot or whatever that, that they all have to go into the stasis pods or whatever but i don't know like i i guess i was thinking too much about the actual like logistics of it and why like why would you do that over going around the the basically the hostile area yeah no i get you like I don't know. I think James, one of James Roberts' weaknesses is he tends to overwrite sometimes. Like it seems like he's trying too hard to like get a like logical solution, even if the logical solution is it's completely illogical. Basically, like I, I don't know. Like it, like it's funny, but sometimes I think he he kind of is like too clever for his own good sometimes. Yeah, and it, it's not it's not like in a John Byrne like you know clever clever way it's a it's like a like double back and double around and like double like you know double proof all your explanations with like absurdity and stuff i I don't i don't know how to explain it but sometimes it's like like i said i guess uh, the way i I would say is it's a little too clever for its own good well i i see what you're saying though it's it's an over explanation of why things are being done but I guess if you if you over explain it too much, then there, there's a lot more room for somebody to sort of meticulously look at any things they consider holes in those explanations. And since you've got twice the explanation, there's twice the pitfall to potentially like try and, and shatter that reasoning, you know, like so I, I, yeah. I see what you're saying. I like, you know, I, I've, I've always liked Whirl, like, even before he was in this book. Like, I always thought he was a cool-looking character, and I was I wished, like, you know, someone would use him. And when he finally, like, was given a starring role in this book, I think... Do you do you, do you get a real, like, like, I think me and Tony often, like, say this, but, like... And I'm sure other people do, but, like, man, I, I feel like Whirl is basically, like, this book's, like, Deadpool, like, almost. Like, because he, he's, like, you know, a complete psychopath, but then he has, like, these moments of, like... I don't know, there's like this, yeah, like little tiny core of decency in him that comes out like every so often when it comes to like even like children and stuff like or or something innocent. 
That's interesting. I mean, I, I could see that, I suppose. I mean, if you're going to pursue the the Star Trek analogies further, I mean, may, maybe there's a little bit of, of, of quirk to him, you know, the, the idea that, you know, most people see him as sort of a backstabber or kind of lecherous or something like that for, for you know, reasons of, of, you know, basically his history, like who he is and what he did and you know, how he's one of these guys that basically, uh, you know, I, I sort of understand the terminology of the whole, you know, like the, the, the shockwave type Transformers. Basically, they did something bad and then they they basically were relieved of their, you know, faces and their arms and stuff like that. So, he, I mean, he's clearly marked and it's not like a case of shockwave where it was done sort of nefariously to shut him up being a prominent senator. It was more of world actually probably deserved that punishment you know what i mean so it's like if he's already sort of branded with that scarlet letter you know people have good reason to sort of not trust him he, he already does have that sort of reputation but again you know ju just because somebody has that reputation you know kind of like quark you know the the ferengi or you know uh, you know basically you know out for money you know they, they, they'll they'll swindle you they'll look for the best deal and you know that kind of thing and so i i would think that world probably has aspects like that where on occasion you know, they, they will surprise you, you know, like in that instance where it's like, yes, it, it was a bit related to, to his own sort of ego, I guess, that the, the protoform was taking after him. But again, he did, he did sort of do something that was basically a self-sacrifice before that protoform. So you're like, oh, well, that's, you know, obviously, you know, th there's that moment you're referring to, that sort of moment of, kind of him shifting away from his own self-interest and, and putting the self-interest of somebody else in front of him, you know, which, you know, you, especially when it's somebody who already has all that baggage in front of him, you're kind of like, oh, well, isn't that interesting? You know, De Deadpool also has all that kind of baggage, you know, all these nasty yeah. things that were done to him, but yet he, you know, there are those occasions where he looks out for, you know, uh, you know, a kid or a little guy or whoever it is. And in the same instance, you're kind of like, oh, well, look, look at that. Look at what he, you know, it's like, he's not all, you know, you know, angry talk and, and, you know, just about, you know, popping caps and, and mofos and all that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Like there, yeah. there is a side to him where he's like, look, I, I, you know, I, I, there's some things I can't help, but I need to be decent about you know and, and, and i liked yeah. i liked the bit where they they pry like ultra magnus's armor off megatron and whirls like hey if you can like you know survive this without like snapping you that you know you're a changed guy yeah yeah that Meg that was megatron. that that was that point where i was like man he really had his personal space violated you could tell the way he was sort of yeah again he was also sort of fetally wrapped up in yeah. kind of going like that was that was a strange moment for him obviously and and like i i, I sort of shared those those same feelings where I was like, what that that did feel weird. Like I could understand why somebody would feel like violated if that wasn't something they had, uh, you know, basically consented to, you know, and it was just kind of like, yeah, that's yeah. kind of strange. The other part that really made me laugh was when uh, they tried to get into Ultra Magnus's office and Nautica's like, oh, I think I can use my wrench to get in. And they're like, do it. And then she just breaks the window with it. I like, I like that point where they, like, they're, they're talking about stuff to do and, and they don't mean to, I guess, whatever World's thinking, that's not what 
uh, Nautica meant, but he's like, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. Just, t- you know, write it backwards out on the window so it looks like the right spelling from the front or whatever, because he's got that that uh, placard that was broken when she, when she, you know, smashes the window that says, like, Ultra Magnus, like, formerly the, you know, keepers of the Tyrest or, you know, whatever his big long-ass title is you know like on on the front of his his door yeah um what'd you think of the art like like i i i think it suited this story i don't know if i would want to see it on any other kind of story though yeah it's it's a little um i mean i i you know there's nothing wrong with it but but it, it does appear to be something that is uh an acquired taste you know like it 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 seems like you know, everybody kind of seems like stringy and kind of, um, um, I, I don't know what the right word is, but like, you know, it, it, it's definitely not traditional and I don't think there's anything wrong with that per se. I mean, I, I wouldn't even go so far as to say I wouldn't want to see this in other stories, but it's not, I mean, it, it's definitely not something that is, you know, it's not Livio Remondelli. It's not, you know, I'm trying to think of like other guys that, you know, might be considered a bit more, you know, Jeff Sr. You know, it's not stuff like that. Yeah, like gritty and dark and whatnot. Yeah. Like, uh, I don't like that. That I think it, I think it's a Japanese guy. Um, I'm trying to look for his name. Uh, Koteri. That's like that's I think that's the only name he is given. Um, maybe maybe he's done manga or something like that. I think so, yeah, because I I have seen some of his art on like Deviant Art and whatnot, and he is capable of he or she. I'm not even positive, like you know who, but uh, they are capable of doing like more serious, like you know, like even art, I guess. But uh, obviously, like this story called for something more lighthearted, so. But you know, I mean, I I liked it. Like I, I'll, but I like I said, the story, the style they used is probably best suited for something like comedic or lighthearted. But uh, anyway, uh, I think that's all I have to say on this story. You you got anything else, or? No, I don't think so. I mean, I I think for me it was like one of those things where I'm I'm a little kind of like catching up on stuff. So that th- this was one of the stories I felt like I had to sort of run to you and be like, oh, I might need some filling in on exactly, like, some of the specifics that were going on in the background and stuff like that. But, I mean, you know, you, you get the idea. They're, they're trying to throw in the, the, the austere of uh, a Christmas-type scenario. And then, of course, there's this big, long-winded science fiction thing that, that sort of sets up all those kind of tropes and and sort of displays of sort of festivities and stuff like that within the context of the story which you know i I, it's one of those things where it's like you know it it is sort of clever clever but it's also kind of cute and i mean i get it like i mean i i don't see anything wrong with it so i i can kind of i can kind of you know wink back you know what i mean like like it's it's fine like there it was it was a good story yeah no i i enjoyed it but anyway, I guess we'll move on to the third and final story, uh, written by John Barber and uh, art by uh, Josh Burcham. It's called the Thirteenth Day of Christmas, or Dead in Green, or the Night Thundercracker and Buster Saved Xmas. And uh, 
I guess I should just give you the framework ahead of time because you don't like find out till the end if it wasn't obvious already but this is like one of thunder another one of thundercrackers like completely tone deaf and tasteless like <laughs> screenplays or like i guess one of his like attempts to write a children's story or something like i don't know how up you are on like what thundercracker's been doing like on earth or whatever but basically he's you know he's been living on earth since like I think like Mike Costa's ongoing and he's kind of renounced the war and he's trying to be a screenwriter basically. So he, he writes these truly like God awful, like screen screenplays that every so often we are graced, like to be able to read some of it, like in the, the main title. And um, yeah, this is just another attempt of his to do like a holiday story. And um, like, okay, basically uh, uh thundercracker is like a private detective in this story and santa claus has apparently like murdered uh like his his friend uh analog and uh him and his partner buster his dog like have to go to the north pole to investigate and uh you know find out why santa murdered <laughs> murdered their friend and uh when they get there basically it turns out that uh Santa uh, is actually uh, innocent of this murder, and it was Megatron dressed as Santa, and he, he he wanted to frame Santa because Santa left him some coal, and yeah, basically like at the end, like Santa and Thundercracker team up and beat Megatron, and yeah, it it, it fades into like the real world basically, where Thundercracker's been reading this to Marissa Fairborn. And, uh, you know, they, they, she just tells him how awful it was. And, uh, in the end, they, they're just arguing about it. And Marissa Fairborn's, uh, partner, uh, Jones, uh, and Thundercracker's dog, Buster, she just kind of walk off it and leave Thundercracker and Fairborn arguing, basically. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's something you have to read for yourself, basically. Like, it's hard to summarize, but... You, you, I, this... you know what it you know what it reminded me of? There, There's two reactions I had to it. My first reaction was, and, and I think maybe this is justified by the way you described Thundercracker's scripts as tactless or tasteless, you know? But my, my first reaction is, oh, this would be like one of those Christmas stories my mom would have had a conniption fit about, where it's like, what? Like, Santa murders people, and what? Like, this is this is ridiculous. You know, like one of these sort of, you know, uh, uh, perversions of a Christmas story that's not really a Christmas story. Um, and then my second thought was, you know what this reminds me of is the, uh, I, I don't know if you've ever read it or not, but they way back in the day, they had a Lobo paramilitary Christmas special. And like, basically that's the Easter bunny hires Lobo to kill Santa Claus. Cause he's all pissed off that his holiday <laughs> is like not the, the, the shiznit holiday or whatever, you know? And so, you know, basically by the end of it, like Lobo tracks Santa down and like Santa's like this big bruiser badass and they have this big fucking fight and everything. And then I'm pretty sure at the end of it, like Lobo fucking kills Santa Claus or something. And it was like one of those things where like, that's the kind of thing my mom would have been like, what is this? Like, you know, like this is unacceptable, <laughs> you know, like that kind of thing. And so like that, that, that's partially what this reminded me of. Um, and as far as to answer your question about like the status of Thundercracker, it's like, I, I pretty much was up on that, you know, he was on earth and he was with, I remember the dog buster. I, I kind of thought it was hilarious that in the script, like 
Buster was basically like his right hand dude. And like, <laughs> and like, what's funny is like every time he says something, then Buster would woof. And it's just like one of those things where it's like, and so I totally looked at this and I said that this looks like a murder. Woof. That's right, Buster. It does look like a murder. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. it's just like one of those things where it's like, he's clearly like an active part of the story, but you're like, what? You know, it's like one of those things where it's kind of like hilarious that that it happens at all. And then, of course, the the the, the one thing I wasn't sure about was was this was he paints Megatron as the villain in it. And I was like, does I, I was trying to remember, does Thundercracker know that Megatron like renounced the Decepticons and is on the lost light now? Yeah, he does. Uh, he does. But he just yeah. he still has like a grudge, basically. I guess so. Okay. Yeah, because yeah. that, like that I... was the one thing I was like trying to remember, and I couldn't remember if that was the case or not. Because I, I thought I, I still think it's interesting that he casts him as you know, even though these are tasteless and tactless and kind of stupid and show a a, a large. Uh, kind of ignorance of human culture and, and understanding of human society and stuff like that. Yeah, like he's trying, obviously, but like I, I thought it was interesting that he still wants to paint Megatron as the villain that he can sort of like punch upside the head and, and sort of fix or whatever. Yeah. Like, let me let me say that, like, this is my favorite story out of the three. And like, like yeah, I just I, I love whenever barber does this with thundercracker because it's like he almost gets like earth like like fiction tropes and stuff but not like quite and like like i, I love like when he's he's kind of like in his office and it's like supposed to be like this hard-boiled like detective stuff and he's like you know i'm a detective like the private kind like and he's like and not one of those ones in real life where i just have to sit around and do a lot of paperwork it's like i'm i'm like the ones in the movies when i jump out of a lot of exploding buildings and my best friend just betrayed me and stuff yeah i'm one of those like so i i don't know like all, all that stuff like made me like crack up the first time i read it i'm i'm sort of left wondering how marissa fairborn's going to tie into the whole merged idw universe given who she's supposed to be in yeah that, that's, that's, yeah that 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 kind of came up with everyone where yeah they were like wait a minute how does that make sense like she isn't she flint and lady j's daughter like okay maybe not marissa don't be afraid i'm still your father i don't know who you are but you're not my father i don't know maybe they'll just pull a like marvel thing and be like she's their cousin or you know it's, she's their younger sister it's, or... it's aunt marissa who the younger marissa was named after yeah i don't know any like uh, any funny exceptionally funny bits did you think of in this one i just did you just n take notice of i, I don't say? know for me like the funny bits were just all the buster related ones that i thought the fact that he just he always woofs in, in response and the idea that Buster has some kind of idea of what's going on in the story, you know, like I just, that kind of cracked me up, but like, you know, or, or like the, the way they tried to tie together, like, th like that's the kind of thing I could see my mom freaking out about where it's like, Oh, you know, like Christmas is peace on earth. And then, and then they try to tie it into Megatron's tech spec where it's like peace through tyranny you know, so it was like, peace on earth, and I give you peace through tyranny, you know, and it's like one of those things where it's like supposed to be a play on both the uh, philosophies or whatever. I, I also like that bit where Thundercracker fights Santa, 
And I was, like, thinking of the kingpin or something, because he's, like, you know, they say, like, Santa's fat, but it's not fat. It's muscle. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's that's a total, like, Frank Millerism or something like that that's, like, checked into the story. Yeah, but uh, other than that, yeah, it just, I just, I don't know, it's something you kind of got to, like, read yourself to, like, really appreciate. Like, our my descriptions don't do it justice, but... Yeah, like, this is the way, like, speaking in of Thundercracker in general, like, this is the first time I've ever really liked Thundercracker as a character, as, like, under, like, you know, as living on Earth with a dog and, like, being, like, a big, like, goofball, basically. Like, I feel like this, like, I don't know, people kind of give him a lot of, like, fan wank and stuff, where it's like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if he, like, acted, like, on his tech specs, you know, because his tech specs say he has, like, doubts in the cause and whatnot, and, like, I think people were expecting, like, you know, whatever thing they had in their minds where it was probably, like, you know, Thundercracker, like, strikes out on his own and becomes, like, a badass, like, you know, and on his lone, you know, he's, like, a lone wolf or something, but, like, this is, like, I don't know, this, this amuses me, like, so much more, like, this is almost, like, counter that, like, where he's, like, like, he's, he's living on Earth, like, and, and he's, like, domesticated, basically, and he doesn't want anything to do with the war anymore. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, he's, I, I, yeah, I, I, I don't know that I had any, like, kind of, thoughts on on what that would mean if they actually followed up on his tech specs but i mean it does definitely seem like he's you know given that he owns a dog and he 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 basically is working with you know whatever the the uh legitimate you know military is like whatever marissa fairborn represents like obviously like he he's their sort of contact or ace in the hole or whatever so it's like that I, you know, I mean, I, I, I get it. I mean, the, the setup sort of makes sense. It's just, you know, I think the stuff that's funny about it is like seeing like those characters react to his screenplays, too, because because, you know, basically Fairburn's kind of like, you kill me like in the first like act, like what? You know, like those kind of things. <laughs> and he's, a, he's a, her character is named Analog. <laughs> and he's like, no, he's like, it's an analog of you. Didn't the name make that clear? It's like he's totally like tone deaf and like like taste deaf, I guess, to like how, you know, like obvious that is basically. But I mean, and then like I like how she also says like there's no December 38th. Like that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, that, that like, is pretty funny because he's like, dude, why can't you just have like cycles like normal people? You know, like he's like, you know, like <laughs> I yeah, I, I, I guess in, in some ways it's like I could totally relate to that because you're like sitting there going, oh, what? You're going to make me like, you know, you're going to start talking about how many kilometers an, an hour you, you were uh, driving or whatever. It's like, I don't know what that shit means, man. You know? <laughs> yeah. But um. I, I was gonna say, as far as the art goes, like I, Josh Bertram, like he's a he's a great like uh, colorist, like he colors tons of stuff. But like I, I like his art style too. It's like it's it's it kind of reminds me of like almost like Jeff Senior. Like it's kind of like obviously he exaggerated it a great deal for this story, but it's kind of like very squared off yeah. lines, basically. Yeah, I can like, see that. Yeah, so like I I really dig his art, and I think it fit this story pretty perfectly. But yeah, no, I I would I would definitely say this is my favorite of the three stories. So I don't know what 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 vote would you give to which story as far as your favorite in these three? Um, I uh, 
I'd probably lean towards the second one, but I think that's just because I'm partial to, like, you know, Rodimus and, and Magnus and even Megatron in a way. Like, I, I figure, like, th those, that second one was the one that I think I actually sort of needed to sort of strap down and, like, really take in and pay attention to and everything. So I felt like that was the most rich of the three whereas the, the 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 front end and the back end like like we we've sort of discussed this off air but they are they are slightly gimmicky do you know what i mean like like it's that whole thing of like oh you know the first one's kind of like a take on the grinch you know and then, and then it's like the second one it's like oh this is kind of like a you know thundercracker but thinking he can pull off like a humphrey bogart you know like type thing and it's like i get it it's funny but it it, it does feel like even though there's layers to it, it, it does seem to have that one note premise or pitch. Yeah, it, it, they're they're kind of biting. Yeah. They're kind of biting off something else. Yeah, no, I get that. Like it's like I I like the second one, like the Roberts one too. But I just like I said, I thought that one was a bit like I guess overwritten is like for something that was supposed to be like light and uncomplicated, basically. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, I think they all complement each other, though, in that way, where they're completely, like, kind of, like, book, like you said, they're two bookends, and then there's something a little meatier in the middle, so, like, I, I think this special in general was, like, well put together, like, from a conceptual standpoint, too, so. Yeah, I mean, as, I, as far as being, like, a, a anthology, yeah, the, the way they arranged the parts, I think, worked really well, too, in terms of, you know, reading them, you know, because, you, you like you said, it, it, the bookends are kind of a bit more light and less detailed you know whereas like you said the the middle part has you know to me i think it's a bit more rich i mean i i don't i don't think you know when you said it was meaty like i mean if we're gonna go like you know hit the nail on the head and talk about the food analogy like i don't i don't think of it as a sandwich at all probably it's probably more like a cool pastry that you really like but the the robert's stuff might be over explained but it might be like you know the cream filling in like a hostess thing whereas the other stuff is just you know, the sponge cake or whatever, you know? Yeah, I, I can get behind that. But uh, I think that's it. I mean, you know, I, I wouldn't mind them, like, you know, continuing the tradition of, like, holiday stories every December and putting out one of these specials, like, again. Like, I, I really liked it, and uh, I, I would put down some money for it. I, I, I wonder what shape that'll take now, that, now that we know, like, you know, IDW's universe is going to be, like, merging with a bunch of like the transformers universe is being merged with like gi joe and mask and you know action man and all that so i wonder if they'll have room for this type of thing in the future what would you be as interested if they made it more broad like if there was an idw holiday special that necessarily didn't focus on say you know maybe there was a transformer portion of it but maybe there's also like a a ROM Christmas story or a GI Joe Christmas story or something thrown in there too, as part of an anthology. I would probably be less interested, but you know, uh, you know, I'd give anything a shot basically. I mean, I do get these copies for free to review anyway. So <laughs> like, but you know, I do put down money for, you know, the stuff I like. So cool. Cool. So, uh, I guess that's it. Um, you know, uh, continue listening to our Christmas month at on fan holes. And, uh, I don't know, Derek, you want to give the usual spiel about where you can find us? Yeah, sure. Uh, if you have any comments, 
questions and or concerns, you can reach us at fanholespodcast at gmail.com. We are, of course, on the fanholespodcast.blogspot.com. You can find us on all kinds of social media. We can be streamed on Stitcher Radio. We are on iTunes. We appreciate any feedback there. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram. So we appreciate all the likes or the comments or notes, all that kind of good stuff that comes from those social media sites. And again, like Mike mentioned, this is going to be Fanholes Christmas Month. So this is going to be the first of a series of Christmas-themed episodes for the Fanholes. So if you've enjoyed listening to this, we hope you will consider checking out our Toku Thursdays, Sentai Saturdays, and Mobile Suit Mondays spin-off show Christmas episodes. And then uh, beyond that, we've got the Fanholes podcast proper, and we hope you consider checking that out as well. Thank you, Derek. You're always very good at that, whereas I am not. So uh, thanks for listening, and uh, this is Mike saying uh, I'm the Thunder Crackeriest, I guess, or the Star Screamiest. I don't know. <laughs> this is Derek, Derek WC, and I'm going to go surf some meteor whatevers that Rodimus was surfing. <laughs> oh, yeah, you went to Meteor Fest? Yeah. yeah, that made me laugh. Yeah. Peace and goodwill to all. Merry Christmas, guys. It's the happiest season of all. With those holiday greetings and gay happy meetings when friends come to call. It's the happiest season of all. There'll be parties for hosting, marshmallows for toasting, and caroling out in the snow. There'll be scary ghost stories and tales of the glories of Christmases long, long ago. It's the most wonderful time of the year. There'll be much mistletoeing and hearts will be glowing when loved ones are near. It's the most wonderful time of the year. That was a good callback to like Spotlight Hot Rod, where, you know, on the cover he's like surfing on a meteor. Yeah.